you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. Like we're not going to notice that the price changed. But that's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I told y'all and <laughs> left the story about going to the Tigers game on a little bit longer than I needed to. So obviously it's an update. I'll tell y'all, it went great. The tickets we had were amazing. And uh, we two different spots. They were, you know, they had the picture. And you never know, you know, is that picture going to be, you know, is it, are they zooming in? No, these pictures were great. And, and they're right on there. You click the picture of the section you're in, you kind of get an idea of where you're going to be sitting. It was great. I'm planning a day trip over to Houston to check out a game. And I've been looking for tickets and they're coming in at five, six, ten dollars in great seats. So SeatGeek does it all for you. Uh, it's the only place I ever go to look for tickets for games and concerts anymore. SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the prices fall. Even better, every SeatGeek ticket is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats and before you buy you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat which I mentioned earlier is a great great feature probably my favorite feature but best of all SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price unlike StubHub SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and there's never surprises with huge fees at checkout and guys I got a $20 rebate for you off of your first SeatGeek purchase all you got to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and add a promo code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Episode 350 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Wednesday, June 1st. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how the hell you doing? I'm doing good. Good to hear. It's been a while, man. I feel good. It's good to be back on the podcast talking. Took some time off with the holiday. Uh, yeah. I think it looks like we're trying out the new schedule this week with the Wednesday-Friday combination. All is I well. Think, I think it's space is better. What's you know, that? I was just playing. I just I was just playing basketball, which you know, spacing isn't really important. You got to be in the right place at the right time. So, I feel like, you know, this way we're not. You know, you and I were sometimes trying to come up with topics that weren't the same topics as that you and Colette had just talked about. Just the day before, exactly. And and yeah, the the back to back days was tough. When if we did every day, that'd be one thing. But the fact is, we're three times a week, so having a back-to-back -back wasn't great. So we're going to be Sunday, Wednesday, Friday going forward. I think it's really going to work. Um, I'm actually really excited for this episode, not just because we're getting back after a layoff, but because you put out your updated ranks. And that, that of course, is going to draw plenty of attention. And we're going to talk about a bunch of different guys that kind of overlap with some of the questions that people had. And then, of course, we can always circle back to your ranks based on where they're at. And, and you know, one guy that actually got a little bit of Twitter pub – uh, in terms of somebody you guys wanted us to talk about. And it's probably because he's coming back. I get it. But Carlos Carrasco was a name that was mentioned multiple, multiple times. And this one's probably going to be quick and brief because I just I, I think looking at your rankings alone seals it. You got him 11th still, and he hasn't pitched in quite a while. 
We're not worried about Carlos Carrasco. If you could have traded for him at any point during the uh, the missed period, I think that would have been a wise move. It's been just over a month. April 24th was the last time he pitched. Unfortunately, this is something that we've now seen from him. You know, he had a little stint last year as well. Um, we're not getting that 200-inning season yet from Carrasco, but inning, inning by inning or, or based on inning, he's going to be one of the best pitchers in the game. So I'm still very much pro Carlos Carrasco. And with you having him at 11, I feel like you uh, are suggesting the same. No, it is interesting, the, the 200 anything, because he hasn't really ever done it. Um, I'm trying to scan here real quickly, but I don't see, you know, there's a 194 season, um, and uh, that's the closest he's gotten, and then a 183 last year. So it, it's it's worth pointing out that he's 29 years old, and he's never had 200 innings. and Which, which puts into question so, if he'll ever do it. Yeah, that's sort of what I was thinking. I was I was wondering if he'll ever do it. And, you know, the, the, the injuries have been various. You know, they've been to the arm and to the leg and to whatever. So he's, I just think he's maybe – it's a weird thing to say about a guy who can throw as hard as he is, but maybe he's not the most athletic guy. And, and Well, this happened on, an, on a kind of an athletic play, right? Running out um, – running a play – to first base, I believe, and, and, he, and he jammed yeah. up his hamstring. That's unfortunate. Last year's was a little, you know, tough to put it on him, a, a line drive back up the box that got him, but thankfully didn't get him too badly. It kind of grazed off Carrasco, but did enough that he had to, he had to sit out for a little bit. I'm not sure if he had a DL stint in addition to that, but, you know, 180-something innings, that's good. And, and regularly doing 180-something innings for the next couple of years would be great, but it's tough to really get Carrasco up there and and this is probably be the last time this year that uh, that I pick him for for the Cy Young Jason and I had him as AL Cy Young because I just don't know if I'm going to see that 200 220 inning season that you need really to be a Cy Young you can have the great ratios the great strikeouts but you really need that big 200 plus inning season and, and right now we haven't seen that out of Carrasco yeah I think that if you're in a dynasty league it's it's worth thinking about especially if you you need to rebuild or whatever it's worth thinking about uh selling him you know later on in the season because at 29 he's not going to add velocity and then there's on top of that there's the the fact that you know he's running out of time in in uh, cleveland oh they signed him to something so they've got options on him actually all the way to 20 so all right he's fine he signed with uh, crasco's with them until 2020 yeah, they signed one of those deals, four years, $22 million plus two options. Man, agents, please just stop doing those. I mean, I I guess John Singleton, you know, he's pretty happy he signed his. But uh, Isn't it weird that, that we kind of knew that one? I mean, it, it's not done. So I shouldn't say played out as if it's signed, sealed, and delivered. But when he signed it and he took that heat, um, I think Bud Norris kind of spoke out against him, uh, and, and it was just kind of like, oh, why'd you take that? It seemed like he took that, and and okay, I'm you know, I, I obviously want to be good or whatever, but but if it doesn't if work not, out, I got something. Yeah, because you know, he had some. I don't know. I, I maybe too much speculation about who he is based on some of the things that have happened, but it seemed like. Let me just go ahead and ink this because worst case is I is I got 12 mil or whatever it was. It was five years, 10 mil. Yeah. I got that booked. 
I'll figure the rest out and we'll kind of go from there. And, you know, he's again, only 23. So saying that John Singleton's done and gone is, is stupid. And so I'm not saying that, but we're not seeing a whole lot that says, wow, he's really going to super out earn that contract. Yeah, well, you know, on the flip side, there's a guy like Tim Lincecum who could have signed something like that and probably left, I mean, maybe $100 million on the table at some point. I mean, they're, they're, I'm sure he saw some great contracts that included his, you know, buying out his free agent years, and and he never signed those. So, um, you know, there's it kind of it can go both ways, but the reason teams are doing it is because when you sum it all up, you know, Houston's not that sad about Singleton because it's $10 million yep. and they'd sign every one of their young guys to that deal if they could. Even if only half of them worked out. Yeah, exactly. Because you can so, just get so much so net much. value for it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Carrasco's there for a while, so at least he'll be in a good uh, pitching park. But he's 29. Uh, you know, he's been hurt some. You know, maybe this year, maybe next year, there will be a good time to sell him at his peak. Um, and it may be before people think of it. I think that that's completely fair. Uh, let's dive into some of the ones that are a little bit more uh, different now in terms of the opinions, the ranking. We've seen some evolution from them. Obviously, they've been pitching in the last month. That's another thing with Carrasco. It's hard to have too many changed opinions because he hasn't been pitching. So uh, right. if anything, we're a little bit less into him long term, but still love him short term. Colin McHugh is a guy who continues to fascinate me because he lives on this this thin margin where – you can watch him get blasted for four or five starts in a row. You know, pops up with a six-something ERA uh, halfway th- or into May even this year, and then all of a sudden reels off four or five pretty good ones in a row. He's got the ERA back under five, which doesn't sound great, of course, but again, he came in with a six and a half in the month of May, so to cut a, a run and a half off is is pretty decent, even a, even a bit more than that, almost two runs uh, for Colin McHugh. So he's kind of getting back on track, complete game at Arizona. There was three runs, eight strikeouts. The strikeouts are back on track for sure, eight, ten, and eight in his last three outings. I don't know. It's It's with the home runs. It, it makes it tenuous. We knew he wasn't going to continue to be the 2014 version. We knew that was a peak sort of version of him. But I've always thought that, okay, he'll he'll stay solid. He'll stay useful. Last year he ended up out-earning kind of his uh, component numbers and, and result ratios because he had 19 wins. You can't bank on that again. And so this year it's been kind of, uh, okay. You look at his ERA indicators for McHugh and you say – he can get back down to that, and that'll work at, at 367 if he gets back in the mid-threes there. But what are we dealing with here with McHugh? How much do you trust him in mixed leagues? Yeah, I had him at around 100, so it's more of a streaming situation for mixed leagues for me. Although picking the right streaming situation is difficult. You know, last three starts, 26 strikeouts against three walks. That's nice. Would you have started him in Arizona and... If you did, would and you knew that he was going to give up two homers, would you think he would only give up three earned runs? Yeah. Home would, against Baltimore, exactly. no home runs. You know, no home runs at the cell, no home runs. Um, and then, you know, at home against Minnesota, you'd think, oh, that's a good one to start him. Two home runs, four earned runs. Um, at Seattle, still gave up a home run, still had a good game. So, in fairness to know, him on those ones, uh, on, on Seattle, they are mashing. Somehow they're yeah. absolutely destroying the ball. Just, it's just hard to to pick the right moments, with them, yep. especially since home is not a great spot for home runs. So, 
you know, then you kind of, if you said, okay, I'll play him on the road. Yeah, you could play him on the road at Seattle. You would have gotten five innings, two earned runs, three strikeouts. That's okay. You might have played him at the road on the road in Arizona just because it's an NL team, eight strikeouts, three earned runs. So you know, but that's basically two starts out of his eleven. The rest were either at home or on the road in Yankee Boston sell situations. Yeah, so. uh, McHugh is extremely tough to to pick out when you want to use him which makes him just such a headache at that point because you can't feel comfortable and, and have that kind of, okay, home only, I'll just take everything I get. No, maybe you want a tough home team or a tough team's coming into his home. You might not want to. So I don't know. I've, I've cooled on him for sure because this home run issue doesn't look like it's going away. That was a big issue for a, a big chunk of last year too. He had this, this run from about May, actually just two months, May to June where he gave up a ton of home runs, 13 homers in 77 innings, had a 503 ERA, calmed down, and then the rest of the way, the last three months of the season, 326 ERA, just six homers in 102 innings. So, you know, it's basically the homers with him. If, he, if he's letting the yeah. ball out of the park, he's going to be in trouble. That might it, seem obvious, but some guys cannot uh, outrun it like a Max Scherzer. Colin McHugh is no Max Scherzer. I know I'm breaking yeah. news there. <laughs> But, you know, I first used strikeouts minus walks to sort my list, and I think that is still the best in-season predictor because a lot of times home runs are random and can really mess up your small uh, your small sample stuff. So, um, you know, but I think it's really actually instructive to look at the guys that are right around McHugh in strikeouts minus walks. So right around 30 to 35, you've got Tanaka, who last year, was considered a home run risk, but this year is fine. And, yeah, Scott even the Cass- year before, by the way. I mean, up until this year, Tanaka has been a home run guy. Right. Uh, so even year to year, it's kind of hard sometimes. Scott Casimir, uh, who hasn't really had, I mean, he's had a home run problem, but this year he's almost given up two per nine. Uh, I think he's probably a decent buy low given his strikeout percentage. Chris Archer, who, you know, I know Jason has some opinions on his health. Um, and, uh, you know, Jeff Samarja, who has had home run issues, but, you know, perfect park for him right now. Colin McHugh, Zach Greinke, Gerard Eikhoff. Uh, so that's a, I think that's a really interesting grouping. You're going to have a lot of different opinions about those guys. And all of them are doing a decent job striking guys out and limiting the walks. I mean, top 40 job there. Um, and so, you know, I think Archer's, you know, amount of walks and you know, obvious struggles with the slider are one thing. Zach Greinke doesn't seem to be struggling on that level. And even though he's in Arizona, I, I think that number is going to go down. Uh, Gerard Eikhoff is a bad fastball, so there's some bad fastball guys in there. Uh, Tanaka, to some extent, is a bad fastball guy. Kazmir, to some extent, you know, now he's, you know, under 90, but he's a lefty, so you get, you get a little give there. McHugh is definitely a bad fastball guy. Uh, and Eikhoff is sort of bordering on a bad fastball guy. So, you know, you have to look at other factors. You can't just do a straight, you know, strikeouts minus walks ranking. That would be silly. Um, and so McHugh, even though he was up there with those guys, I penalized him more than any of the rest because he's always had a bad fastball. He's always had a home run issue, and he's in a terrible home park. And, you know, he's fiddling. He's always fiddling with those breakers. Now, I might be wrong. He might be more of an 80, 75, 80, 
but good luck trying to figure out what games you really want to stream in your mixed league. So, you know, very borderline either way. I think that's completely fair on Colin McHugh. So, you know, in, in, in the leagues where he's viable, AL only, deep mix, where, you know, you, you know you're not cutting him, just leave him in your lineup. Don't even try to play cute with it. In the stream leagues, man, I don't know. I might find somebody else who I feel comfortable with one thing or another, a Colorado guy who I can always start on the road or, um, you know, a San Diego guy or Pittsburgh guy that I can always start at home as opposed to trying to time Kyle McHugh. There might be some teams that have an issue against curveballs. Um, yeah, if you could figure that out too, that, that could be he something. Throws, he throws 30% curveballs. So let's see here. Uh, team batting stance. And we have these pitch type values. Um, which aren't perfect, but can give you a little bit of an idea if, if a team struggles against curveballs. Go with the uh, the ones per hundred, and uh, the Braves. Well, see, yeah, start McHugh against the Braves, Phillies, and Padres. Man, we are dominating with the breaking news today. He's not Max Scherzer, but start him against Max Scherzer's division rivals. Well, look who's down there. Diamondbacks are actually fourth worst against the curveball, and he had a pretty good start. And he just decimated them. There you go. Well, the Yankees uh, did too, and they blasted him. So uh, you got to be a little bit careful. But uh, Diamondbacks, Padres, Phillies, Braves—that kind of match up forever, forever. You know, he did pretty. You know, he did okay against the Mariners, despite the fact that they're they're hitting well, and they're a bad team against the curveball. So. He's got two starts against them that weren't yeah. too bad. So and the White Sox start was okay, and White Sox are 22nd against the curveball. So yeah, there are some starts there. Just don't start him against. Let's see here, the Angels. That's the interesting because people would probably Rangers. start him against both of those teams. Yeah. Being in his division. You know, maybe if it was in L.A. And in Oakland. In whatever. In Oakland. But, so that uh, might, that might the, the breaking ball uh, rankings there that you, that you have in the team stats might be something that you can use to get a better feel for when you want to start Colin McHugh. But, man. Still risky. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. It is still risky. You know, it's become very risky at this point. You got him ranked 54th, and I, I, I got to have him down there as well. I'm, I've been one of the biggest Michael Walker backers there is out there, but I'm looking at what's been happening here over his last four starts, and I have a hard time not really see, uh, seeing anything but injury um, or, or some sort of something that's off, maybe an injury precursor, you know, just some soreness that's going to lead to I, – I don't know, but – he was 312 ERA through seven starts with perfectly fine skills. He had one game against the Padres of all teams where he didn't strike anybody out. So 38 strikeouts and 43 and a third. If he'd just gotten four strikeouts in the in those six innings, it would have you know made it look a heck of a lot better in terms of his uh, strikeout per inning rate. But since then, Michael Waka in four starts. First off, three of them in a row where he only went four innings. Even his last one at Washington was a baseline quality start. I don't know if that offers a little bit of hope. I didn't get a chance to see that one. But a 9.50 ERA in 18 innings over his last four starts. Oh, this is a guy who's had major shoulder issues in the past. It's my only real concern with Michael Walker has been health because I think the skills are there and we've seen him be great for extended periods of time. But if he's hurt, obviously that throws a major wrinkle here. I can't necessarily come up with something else that that explains him falling off like that. He. I think he's hurt. Like, I don't think I've ever seen any pitcher with every single indicator on baseball heat maps and the injury finder that looks like he's hurt. 
his velocity is down. Uh, you know, he's a, he has like we had, they have a five game rolling average at baseball heat maps, and uh, his his velocity is down uh, three points, two and a half points off of a off of a peak late last year. Uh, so that's a fair amount. I mean, it, the red line just goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have late game inconsistency in re- in um, in release point, and uh, two starts ago he had an 82. He's never had a number of over 44. Uh, so he's and and then a lot of his his uh, 40s have been uh, since late last year. So some 47, actually 47 and 48. So there's some 40s in there, and then this big spike at 82 two starts ago. Uh, his strike zone percentage, his rolling five-game strike zone percentage, uh, down off of his 45% baseline, just took a dive uh, in August last year and hasn't recovered. His uh, total release point variances uh, in terms of uh, vertical and horizontal are off the charts right now. So it's like one of those EKGs where you know the earthquake is coming. I mean, uh, that, that's exactly uh, what it feels like. So I... I... I'm very nervous. I would not go out and trade for him. I don't see this as a buy low opportunity because we, we could never speculate on the severity of an injury. It could be a two week and 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 back sort of thing for Waka. Shoulder, the shoulder history. That's exactly. not exactly. So I am unfortunately running away from my boy here. I've been a big fan. Still waiting for that real true breakout. That that 200 inning, you know, sub three ERA kind of season that I think is in there with health. But I can't yeah. imagine he's healthy right now, so I, I'm 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 red flagging Waka. Wish I'd checked that before and did my rankings here. So I think I would actually uh, dip him below a lot of the guys behind him. Sanchez, Aaron Sanchez is healthy at least. You know, once I get to Matt Moore and Michael Pineda around 60, um, you know, you're kind of like, well, you know, there's a lot of things going on there. Would you like? Would you sell so low on Waka that you would take away in Chen back? Um, I mean, maybe I, I mean, kind of would. I, I like Wei Yin Chen. I actually have them. Just needs the pop ups to come back. Yes, you know? and start yeah. start using start leaning on that park a little bit more. That park is right, so yeah. huge. Every time I watch a game there, I I s- still marvel at how big it is. I, I I guess I forget in the interim, and then I watch a, a Jose Fernandez start. And I'm like, God, that park is massive. All right, so I'd push him. I'd probably push him down. I mean, Jimmy Nelson, you know, makes me pause. I think I'd actually push him all the way down to about 67, 68. Michael Fulmer right there. Um, you know, it, like if you shopped him and you can't sell him low, you could wait for a DL stint because that would be great for you at this point because then you could DL him. And just pick and up somebody. Just hope that he gets it fixed and gives you something good in the, in the, at the end, right? Or, you know, uh, you know, hope, you know, pick up Discafani for somebody else and then hope that, you know, DL Discafani goes hunting for somebody else and then hope that you can switch walk on to the DL when Discafani comes off. Like, those are some comparable sort of add drop situations. But if you're, if you're all the way down here at like, um, you know, picking up Patrick Corbin to drop Michael Waka, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd rather wait for some DL news and hope that I could stash him, you know? The ad drop situation doesn't isn't isn't making me happy. Nope. But, uh, nope. 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 So in yeah. fact, you know, the kind of the the back end starters that are available right now are not that exciting to me. I mean, I I agree. I like you know I like Nicholas Trapiano, Jonathan Gray. Um, you know, Conley's doing all right. He could do a little better. Uh, 
Eduardo Rodriguez didn't really get any whiffs. I like Junior Guerra. Um, that, that's these are all guys in the kind of seventy to eighties that could be available. Uh, you know, you could just. I mean, if it's a redraft league and you're doing well and you just don't want to deal with Waka, picking up Junior Guerra for Waka, at least he'll get K's. You know. Yep. He is K. That splitter is filthy. I love it. I love it as yeah. as, a, as a big fan of splitters. So, yeah, I, I velocity late in the games. I was watching. You know, I, I saw some ninety fours and ninety fives in the sixth and seventh innings. So I know he's thirty one. This is this is Gary now that we're talking about. But yeah, it looks pretty good. Now, what what are the chances that he just ends up getting flipped? Is he good enough to to actually draw something back in a deal? Has yeah, he... I think the Brewers they've got all those years of control now. They got him. They got him for a long time. So yeah. I think. They they want him. I mean, even if he ends up bumping down the ladder because he's 31 and the velocity goes or whatever, there's not a lot of bullets in the arm. You know, left not a lot of bullets that were used in that arm because he was a catcher before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they just need pitching, pitching, pitching. So even if he gets bumped down the ladder to four or five, three, four, five later on, I mean, right now he's basically their ace. Yeah, that's true. And and you make a good point about the fact that the, the transition, the full time transition to pitcher didn't really happen for a while so he doesn't have a ton of innings he, he was but at his age i wonder at his age if they care you know? right i mean they may he so in 2015 he only pitched a 60 80 almost 90 innings uh but before that the last pitching line was in mexican league and triple triple a in 2012 so i mean they may just let him go man i mean i don't know We'll see. A split finger could maybe they'll find a way to sit him or rest him some, but uh, he only has. And the other thing is he only has sixty innings on his arm so far this year. Mm-hmm. So even if they let him go, so he pitched like ninety last year and he has sixty now, they could still let him go another sixty without you know looking like they're using him too hard. Yeah, they, so, yeah, they could push. They could push that, and they have the age excuse that they could lean on maybe for a little bit more too so i don't know that he's going junior gara is going to be shut down uh let's see where did you have him ranked i'm looking at it looking for 84 it. or something yes 84 nailed it so i'm pushing i'm pushing walker pretty hard down but um you know that looking at that um that injury stuff makes me really worried understandably I I, probably settle with walker around 70 you know just barely mixed league viable and just you know, hold on for maybe a, a place to um, to rest him and, and DL stash him. But uh, yeah, see if you can get to to that DL uh, oasis, so to speak. If they, right. you know, if he has another bad outing, they might they might force the DL. You know, maybe they're thinking about it right now because yeah. it's it's just so bad that there has to be something wrong with Michael Walker. I'm a little bit worried about this next guy for an injury reason as well. T- Taiwan Walker. Had that one game with the neck spasms where he had to come out early. Uh, I think it was after like two innings. It was all suggested that, no, he's fine, you know, because he came right. He, he made his next start. He says, I'm going to be good, all set, no big deal. And he's been kind of bad since then. He has a 524 ERA in about five starts since that uh, that neck spasm, I believe, in Houston. Yeah, it was in Houston. It's been four starts, and only one of them has been – Good-ish. And the only reason I say good-ish is, you know, he went seven and a third, gave up one earned against Oakland back on May 23rd, but Taiwan Walker gave up five runs. It was just that one of them were earned. And so I don't know the makeup of that. Maybe they were completely unearned, not his fault. But at the same time, 
it was, he might have been putting on some of the base runners to to impact that. I don't always just give a, you know wave away the unearned runs and say those don't those don't count to the pitcher at all. I'm still skeptical of them on some level. So because yeah, sometimes it's like a third out he didn't get, and then he gives up some blasts, and you're just like, well, yeah, he didn't get that third out, but <laughs> doesn't give you reason to like pout or you know yeah, he's still fall gave apart up after that you know so exactly yeah it is actually sort of remarkable i mean he's given up uh 18 runs in, in those four starts the strikeouts have been on and off in that over that stretch mm-hmm. i mean uh nine and five and two-thirds against tampa and then three and five against baltimore six against oakland and then three against minnesota look at the home and after he had zero two zero one zero zero walks it went three two one two so and then the homers just blew up. So there's something going on there. Um, I mean, look at the pitcher injury factor. Yeah, I was going to say, check that as well. Because he had one home run allowed, Taiwan Walker did, in his first five starts going into Houston. Then during the next spasm game, he gave up two homers. Okay, we'll give him a pass uh, for at least one of those because of maybe – the, maybe the next spasm happened on the first one when he – turned around really fast to see the home run leaving and then and then he gave up the second homer left the game and now he's given up seven homers in his last four outings so there's a sharp difference it was looking like taiwan walker was on his way to a big breakout season and now it looks like he's fast tracking himself toward the dl but i'm very interested to see what you find on heat maps any of the indicators he doesn't doesn't have an inconsistency score uh only once has been um above has been above 40 and that was last year okay good Uh, this year he's been really consistent the velocity is stuck around 94 uh, according to this uh zone strike zone percentage is up a little bit recently uh yeah he looks he looks pretty solid maybe it's uh on the level of just finishing, you know, in terms of command and stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. he's uh, just having a little trouble uh, commanding. Then again, you know, we knew, we know that he's not a great command guy. Sure. And uh, there was some of this risk. But you, I think you can zoom out a little bit on a season so far and say, hey, you know what? This is pretty good so far. Yeah, just the makeup of it and having that next spasm thing as the breaking point is why. And, you know, I guess that's building a little bit of a narrative. It could just be, listen, he had the next spasm. He is fine, but he, he just kind of coming back down a little bit and and like you said never been a great command guy has figured out some control but the command wasn't there uh and hasn't necessarily been there to go with it just yet and so maybe it's just i'm i'm very pleased that you didn't find the same kind of stuff on taiwan walker that you did on on waka that would suggest that he's that he's hurt or or headed toward a dl stint would you try to buy low then because I do yeah, think that's yeah, the... I was pretty aggressive on him. Him and Velasquez, I just I just saw all the skills growth that we wanted to see, all the results that we wanted to see, uh, all the steps forwards that we wanted to see. Velasquez, maybe I pushed him a little hard because I have him at twenty six, Walker twenty seven, and you know maybe there's uh, maybe they're going to shut him down. Uh, but at some point, you do have to push a guy to get the innings. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to get them there. Um, it's like so, letting the hitters against left-handers. They're not going to learn if they never right. face left-handers. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. I doubt they shut him down. So he had like 90 last year. Uh, I doubt they shut him down like at 100 because then next year he can only pitch 120. Who's this, Velasquez? Yeah. So I think he still probably has at least another 80 innings in him. Uh, that doesn't seem like it's pushing too hard. I They're agree. listening to their analytics guys, and their analytics guys know that 
the uh, Verducci effect is BS. Uh, so I, I think, um, you know, they maybe I should have Velasquez a little bit lower, maybe Walker a little bit lower, but there was a soft spot in the rankings there where I just didn't feel good enough about Verlander, you know, How even though you. he's better recent. No, he's better I'm kidding, recently. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I like what he's doing. I'm just not sure. Like, he doesn't have the fastball he used to have, so I'm not sure that, you know, the stuff he's done with the fastball, I'm not sure that he's not going to give up some homers. Exactly, you know? and that's been the issue when, even this year, when Verlander's been in trouble, he leaves fastballs kind of center cut. He's trying to yeah. get to the top of the zone, and when he made yeah. that mistake five years ago, it was still 97 running in on you, so even if it was if, if it was center, you're swinging through it. Now when he makes that mistake, it's 92 with a little bit of run maybe, but if he doesn't get to that top uh, upper third of the zone, it's a meatball, and we know what major league pitchers are going to so, do that. So I think that's completely fair regarding Burton. Lackey's ancient. I thought 29 was a really nice ranking for him. Maybe I could push Lackey Lackey against, uh, up against Velasquez, up up all the way to sort of Coral Archer territory, but he just eh. didn't feel right. It yeah, just doesn't, I, I couldn't get him. Like, I don't think Lackey's that good. Like I don't. When I watch him, I just don't think he's as good as those guys. I so. got him top thirty in 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 yeah. my updated right now, but I couldn't, I could not feasibly get him too much higher than that and feel good about it. The guys that I had uh, below him, I just said, man, I I I can't do that. I can't do that, and so had right. had to listen to what I was feeling there and 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 back off of that. You know, like. I love Kyle Hendricks. People thought I was aggressive on the 32, but I have a piece going up about called strikes tomorrow, and he's he's right there. So uh, when I when I saw this piece about about called strikes, it was uh, you know top three in the league right now in called strikes per pitches are uh, Aaron Nola, Kyle Hendricks, and Stephen Matz, I think. And Damn. you know that's a, a great little trio. It's a great way to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I should look at strikeouts and not worry. Like swinging strikes, I think are really great for, you know, the first week or two, first couple of starts, uh, first couple of starts back from the DL. Is he getting a swinging strikes? You know, at least to where he normally gets it, right? Mm-hmm. But once a guy shows a propensity for getting the called strikes, we know from research that called strikes are about as good as as swinging strikes. And you know, Kyle Hendricks and Aaron Nola have that skill, and it looks like Steven Matz does too, which I'm sort of surprised by. Like, I didn't, watching him, I, I wouldn't put him in that same command territory as, as Nolan Hendricks because Nolan Hendricks can really paint. But um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Steven Matz is like that. Maybe that's the, the, the sort of missing uh, piece to the analysis. So I, I really moved at Nolan and Matz are 18 and 19, Hendricks is 32. Um, you know, Nolan Matz have more stuff than Hendricks, so yeah. it's still factored in. But maybe I could push Hendricks ahead of Velasquez. You know, I mean, uh, I did I did push him pretty hard. Jordan Zimmerman, you know, is somewhat similar. He gets a lot out of his stuff. The problem is the projections are so bad on him every year. You know, Who, who's and that then? Jordan Zimmerman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're not they're not liking him. They're just they're... they never do. No, nope. and it's. And I pushed him because he seems to beat them a lot. But, you know, you could push Sonny Gray forever because you think he can beat the, the projections, and then he doesn't. So uh, you, you had a sort of coming to uh, coming to uh, terms with Steven Matz yourself recently, huh? I did. Um, I, I put up a piece today about changing my tune on some guys. Listen, 
if you're going to stay, you know, firmly in the, in your positions of everything that you came out from March with, you're going to lose, right? You have to evolve as these pitchers change. And I, I kind of laughed at the fact that he was 30th off the board this year. thought that was way too high based on six starts and some prospect pedigree, especially considering the fact that he has injury issues. But that goes against one of my main tenets, which is bet on the skill set and, and kind of hope that the health comes together. When you're talking about a, a quality upper tier, not maybe not upper tier, super upper tier, but like, you know, frontline potential profile, bet on that and, and, and hope that the injury can, can injury piece can kind of come together. You know, Anthony Rendon, don't necessarily, he's got injury history, but when that guy's on, he's a beast. Uh, Carlos Martinez, we do that with, um, you know, there's plenty of other guys. Obviously I'm failing, you know, Chris sale for a while was always, Oh, he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. Who cares? He's so frontline bet on it. And so, like I said, I balked at him being the 30th off the board, but I shouldn't have. And he's been great. He had that one bad start, his first start against Miami, he got he got knocked around, and since then he's been one of the best pitchers going. And honestly, even if you just you fold that back in and look at him since he came up last year, Stephen Matz has been the fifth best pitcher in baseball by ERA with the skills to back it. And that's with an 80 inning threshold, so that's obviously low. Um, and that's starting pitchers only, so the relievers aren't in there. But he's been great. The, the, you mentioned the command pieces there, the swing and miss isn't elite, but he gets the strikeouts because he has that command. The ground ball rate is up 10 percentage points this year, which is huge. There's a lot to like with Steven Matz. Even this year, he's shown the injury piece again. He started his season a little bit later because uh, of some nagging injuries, and then he had a DL stint already. Honestly, at this point, I don't care. He's too good when he does pitch. The, the introduction of and maturation of a slider, which I believe is the worth in slider that you've alluded to previously with him. He's thrown it about 15% of the time. The stuff is four pitches. What isn't there to like about Steven Matz outside of the injury piece, which we can't really control or predict all that effectively outside of knowing that p- past injury is a good predictor. But, okay, that's kind of baked in because if, if there was no injury concern – I feel like Matt's is a top 15 guy at this point almost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'd probably get him into the top 10. He'd be right there, Kluber, Carrasco. I mean, why not? Yeah, if you could turn injuries off and you told me that there's not going to be any injuries, I uh, yeah, he's bumping up against my top 10 at this point. So I got him into the top 30. I've, I've changed my tune on Steven Matt. I really like this guy. He's just too good. And again, ignored one of my own tenants there and, and, and made an error for sure. All right, let's move on to our next guy here um, because I want to talk about somebody that I give you hell on a lot. And right now it's your turn. It's your turn to get back because CC Sabathia, Sabathia, I never pronounce it the same way twice. Uh, CC is back and he's beasting and he's, he's been, he's been pitching really well. Now this isn't, you know, sorry to take shots at him because he's back on the DL now, but this isn't like Matt Kane pitching well, which you kind of looked at his four or five start run, and it was it was pretty obviously not anything to really write home about. The thing with CC that you've been st- staying steady with is the fact that his uh, strikeout and walk numbers have always been there, right? He's still getting strikeouts even with the diminished stuff. He just still doesn't walk a ton of guys, even with with kind of some some command issues at times. He wasn't losing his control. It was really just his command, his strikes within the zone. 
Well, since coming back from the DL, and honestly, before he went on the DL, a 381 in five starts is not that bad. But since coming off the DL, he's had three really good starts in a row, including two at Toronto, basically a home and home with Toronto. 19 strikeouts, just 10 hits in 19 innings, one home run. He has two home runs all year so far for Sabathia, and that's huge. Home runs had really expedited his decline these last four years he had a 1.3 homer per nine rate with the yankees in the last four years and that really turned cc from okay gonna ease into his career as an ace gonna be a mid-tier guy and then maybe a back end he went right to back end guy because of way too many home runs so this year he's keeping the ball in the yard are we seeing anything different with the stuff that should make us believe in this and and are you firmly on his train still because you've been the conductor for the past few years i got to give you credit um no now you hate him no no (laughs) he's uh gone to the last trick in the book is what i would say there was one trick left left in the book that he hadn't done yet he's cheating no (laughs) sorry that marlon bird reads a different book all pitcher tricks like legal tricks but okay 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 the 35 year old has done the last thing you can do which is completely give up on your four seamer and start throwing a cutter yes so it is it is interesting that you know his in terms of isolated power against his numbers against the four seamer have been off the charts. I mean, people have been really love hitting his four seamer. I got a couple hits off of it. Yeah, he was pitching in my softball league, but he was still throwing overhand and and quote unquote fast. But yeah, I, I raked him. It was crazy. But now he has a .080 ISO against the cutter. And in terms of pitch usage percentage, the 28% forcing that he used to use, uh, the, the cutter is now 28%. And it doesn't show up on our site uh, with BIS or whatever. And I think that's because in terms of speed, it's very similar. Uh, they're both around 88 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fastball and, and cutter, you mean? Four-seam and cutter, I mean? Yeah, the four-seam and the cutter. Um, and... In terms of uh, horizontal movement, you know, um, that's where you can spot it. Because in terms of vertical movement, they're about the same. Uh, the cutter drops a little bit more, but, you know, your your system really has to be calibrated by human hand almost to catch that sort of thing. So uh, instead, uh, if you looked at horizontal movement, you had something that he had a straight four-seamer that was kind of boring. And it is actually sort of interesting. We talk about straight sometimes. You know, the average four-seamer has about four inches of fade, um, you know, or, or four four to six inches of fade. And his had, like, four. And, you know, is that straight or is that average, you know? Yeah. And now his cutter has one inch of fade. And is that more straight or is it weirder? And I think it's what it is is it's weirder. It's definitely it's, weird. Yeah, it's weirder. It's, it's less straight. It's further from the norm. And so, you know, having something that's perfectly normal there, I think, makes things easy. People are like, oh, all right, that's a, that's what a four seam looks like. I've seen that. That's an average four seam with poor velocity that's sometimes poorly spotted. Now they see something that, you know, it doesn't technically have a cut to it, but it, do, it does. It has cut relative to four seamers. So uh, it's a different kind of movement. And now when you look at his horizontal movement, there's – a spread you know there's a nice spread the cutter occupies a part of his arsenal that he didn't have anything before so i think uh it separates his change in his in his and his sinker from his slider 
in a way that there's now this thing right in the middle of those things. Anyway, it's not getting beat. And the, the question is, will it get beat when they see it more? Um, because he hasn't been throwing it a ton. But uh, it's worth, I think, jumping on in deeper leagues. How do you- I have him at 74. That's a bit aggressive, but I think I wanted to point out that him and Matt Shoemaker, the other guy going to the old, old pitcher's tricks uh, by throwing his splitter half the time, um, that those two guys are definitely worth picking up in uh, in deeper leagues. Need to be off the board in eighteen team leagues, and probably need to be off the board in fifteen team leagues by now. Okay, so we're 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 moving on up with uh, with CC and and Matt Shoemaker. Shoemaker going to the to the splitter, keeping the ball in the yard. Another guy who his his success is solely determined on how regularly he can keep the ball in the yard. And we actually did a little. Uh, kind of re-up on him recently, he's kind of kept it going. He had another good outing against Houston, uh, eight and a third, two two runs. I think even um, he was going for the complete game. I want to say the bullpen might have actually allowed those runs to cross the plate. Obviously, he put the he put the runners on, but then they let him in. 11 strikeouts. So now we've got 12 and 11 strikeouts in his last two outings. That's really impressive for Shoemaker. Um, is he a candidate to be moved at the deadline? Yeah, um, Shoemaker. Yeah, because I mean, are they are they really gonna hang? I, I don't know. They're 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 in third, but it it's might as well be last because the Angels, Astros, and Athletics are all tied, essentially at about twenty three and twenty eight, well, twenty three and twenty nine for the last two teams. Angels are technically alone in third at twenty three and twenty eight. Whatever, that's terrible, right? And they keep losing pitchers left and right. I feel like he, they might just trade a 29-year-old shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. And then and if they trade him out, if they trade him to another American League team that's not in a nice park like the White Sox. Who need pitching and have been talking to that uh, would be for James players. Shields, talking to San Diego. Good luck with that, by the way. Yeah. That oh, would... yeah, even James Shields. James Shields, who's given up like a home run and a half in San Diego and has had homer problems for the last... Let's, let's bring him over to the cell. Year and a half. That's, yeah, let's... Welcome to the cell. Have fun pitching here. Yeah, I I cannot see that working Although, at all. At least he's better than Matt Latos. That's true. However, however, so <laughs> are you. <laughs> and I'm I'm certain of that. I've never seen you well, pitch, and I'm still certain ball, of that. With a wiffle ball, man. At least get that cool wiffle ball that they advertise on MLB Network that you can make oh, move. Right. All you got to do is put your fingers where they tell you. They'll let you use that, and you'll still imagine. You'll, imagine uh, throwing some BP to some major league hitters with that thing. That'd be hilarious. What yeah. if they were still raking you? They're like, nah, that, that's not difficult at all. I'm gonna kill that. <laughs> well, they're like, it's not going 100. <laughs> yeah, you're still you're still you're throwing 48. Yeah, it's a <laughs> wiffle ball, and yeah, it moved a little bit, but no, I got this. I got this all day. Uh, you briefly mentioned this next guy's name when you were talking about other people. So I want to get a little bit further deep dive on Jared Eikhoff. You got him 46th in your rankings. He's had an interesting season so far. You know, he's putting up solid numbers, 407 ERA, 122 whip. Nobody's, nobody's really complaining about that. It's been a little bit of a backslide after a hot start, but you know, kind of the, that that's just kind of the composition of things. He really only has one 
awful start. Milwaukee, of all teams, ripped him up for seven runs in five and a third, but he still struck out seven. It was just a couple home runs. Home runs are almost the theme here. If you can't keep the ball in the yard, you're going to have trouble. Again, that's not really breaking news, but some guys are more punished by it, obviously, because they have a, a medium or worse whip. A stud like Scherzer has a awesome whip, so he doesn't necessarily get as punished. Got to keep the ball in the yard. The thing for me with Eikhoff was that he decimated right-handers last year, and he really struggled against lefties. And if he didn't get back, if he didn't get on track against lefties, I had a hard time seeing him be take a real step forward um, and and kind of prove that last year had some viability to. I knew he wasn't going to keep a 2.65 ERA, but even even his fit was 3.25, and I didn't I didn't see that for a full year sort of situation. You got him at 46, which I think is 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 pretty nice. Um, that suggests that he's going to be better than the 407 ERA the rest of the way. What are you seeing out of Jared Eikhoff? Yeah, he has a, a top 40 uh, strikeout minus walk rate, which is where I started everything. And then, you know, we talked about how he's not a great fastball guy. Um, and that's part of the deal. But I don't think he's a bad fastball guy. In 91, you know, from a righty, it's, uh, it's not 88 or 87 or anything. It's not a guy at the very end of his career. It's, uh, it's 91 you know, plus I mean, it's 91.0 on our, on our boards, but he's going to gain some as the season goes on. And I think he's going to throw that slider a little bit more. He did that last year. And I think he's going to refine that command as he goes on. Um, just from watching him, it's, it's a couple mistakes a game sort of deal. And uh, so I, I like I like the steamer projection. And I think there's a little bit more there even than that. Steamer has him at three, eight, four, ERA one two five for Eikhoff with eight strikeouts for nine, uh, two point eight walks. See, I think he's going to better that because now we've had over a hundred innings from him in the last two years and a two point oh walk rate. Yeah, so, he does not walk, and, it, and his walk rate is actually better this year. That's actually taken an improvement and kind yeah. of uh, canceled out or at least lessened the damage of the lower strikeout rate because the strikeout so, rate was at twenty four percent. It didn't necessarily. I mean, he's got some good swing and miss stuff, though. The secondary pitches both of them. That curve is nasty. Yeah, elite elite curveball on the slider last year got had really good results, and I think you know maybe this year it's suffering from uh, people hunting it a little bit. But um, breaking news: Mookie Betts hit another home run. He's unbelievable. Anyway, um, way to go, Mike Wright. Mike Wrong, more like (laughs) it. Anyway, back to Jared Eikhoff. Anyway, uh, a little bit more velocity. Um, uh, I think the projections are missing a little bit of a command improvement. So if you take that three eight four one two five and you and you subtract like a half walk off of those projections at least, um, then I think you're you're getting closer to like three five one two with eight okay. strikeouts for nine. That's that's really nice, I think, from your two, you know, from a three. I can vibe that. He he's probably three. even your four or five in a lot of situations. He was not seen as a as a major guy well actually that's if if your if your staff worked out he might be bumped up to your three right now because that mid-tier as we've alluded to now a couple times has been so ghastly that you're probably you know you may, might have lost a guy to injury another guy who's underperforming and all of a sudden Eikhoff is your three but if he's getting those numbers that's viable. I, st- I still worry. What's he going to do to combat lefties? He's still giving up a, a mid 800s OPS against them. He's got four pitches. Can that curveball be good enough? Is it the fastball? Is it getting to the curveball? 
that's that's the issue against lefties with him. What do you, what do you see him there for Eikhoff with the platoon split? It's just the homers. I think you know if you look at his strikeouts minus walks, uh, you know at thirteen point three against lefties, it's still above average. Uh, you'd expect a righty to have, be better against righties, and his eighteen percent there is 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 uh, is well above average. So you know you in terms of strikeouts minus walks, yes, he's not as good, but he's still he's still above average. And if you can be above average against lefties and dominant-ish against righties, then that's how you get sort of a middle-of-rotation guy, I think. Now, 1.4 homers per nine, that's the question. Is he going to be able to cut that down? Curveballs traditionally don't have the biggest platoon splits, often have reverse platoon splits. So uh, I think that perhaps fiddling with that slider, either turning it into a cutter that he can uh, use in on their hands um, or... um, you know, or or just trusting the change a little bit more because he, he's throwing about five percent of the time. Something in there, uh, I think, uh, could uh, could present present us uh, with a step forward. But I'm not I'm not like betting too much on a step forward. I'm just saying he's better than we thought so far, and at with his age and the velocity coming, and you know, just the actual fact that the change is. Looks like it has, you know, it could be decent. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's a guy that is on waivers for a lot of guys out there. And I don't think he should be. All right. I think that that's fair, by the way. I think the fact that he's on Philadelphia uh, still still hurts his perception. Um, and the wins. And, and of that's, course, the dubs. Point. The dubs. You, yeah. you can't have too many of those guys, right? You, you, you cannot have... Tehran, Velasquez, and Ikoff. Yeah, I named you know three guys from the same two teams, but those are the two teams right. that have any you know even a modicum of intriguing pitching and are also awful. Um, you know, you can't have Junior Guerra, Tehran, and Velasquez. See, I only changed one of them there. I'm really bad at this game of picking out good pitchers on bad teams, but <laughs> you don't want too many of them uh, because then at that point, yes, the wins are going to be very difficult. You can really house one of them, I think, um, and, and and maybe two if you've really got like a Kershaw Syndergaard one-two punch that you went for. Um, now I'm going to cherry pick a couple names here that aren't, aren't still on the list. We're going we're gonna to wrap up here with maybe just a name or two more that uh, is interesting to me. You had you Darvish all the way up at 14, which I've seen him now uh, twice, once live at Round Rock when he was on his rehab, and then, of course, his debut. And I think I, I get it. I understand. I, he could make me look really wrong because I was saying I'm just, I just don't really mess with guys their first year back from, from Tommy John. The thing of it is, though, I feel like this could be like a Jose Fernandez one because it's really not even about the skill. And the skill with Fernandez last year was elite, but he even also got hurt in the midst of it. So the headache is really the big issue, not so much the, the ability but I also did cite the fact that, you know, command usually lasts to come back. His wasn't yeah. that great to begin with, blah, blah, blah. You got him at 14. What are you seeing out of you, Darvish? How are you reacting to him right now in terms of um, if someone's trying to sell high, are you paying that freight? You, Darvish, go. It's nice, man. I mean, you, like I said, the, the really small sample stuff is all there. You know, he came back with all the swing strikes you could expect and the velocity and there really wasn't any, you know, any setbacks in his recovery. No, they didn't. You know, they didn't give him a long, uh, a long rehab. You know, 20 innings in the minor leagues, and that was it. 
uh, 20 innings over four, five starts. They pretty much just wanted to put him back out there on the mound. They want him uh, to be there because they're they, that team needs to win. And, um, you know, I think they've now got two aces, and they're probably a little better than the, our projections have them, you know, which yeah, the is uh, something I like to, to yell about. So I, I do think that um, it, some of it was just subjective and watching him and just not really uh, getting the sense that, you know, some of what happened early on in terms of his bad command was that he was getting squeezed. And, and it wasn't not not I don't think in necessarily a racist way or anything, but squeezed in a way like that he hadn't a he hadn't proven that he should get those calls and B, maybe he didn't know when to go in certain places. I saw a recent report about bias in umpires and that um, in certain counts, they're biased towards the bottom of the zone. In certain counts, they're biased horizontally. Wow. That's yeah. really interesting. Can you send me that? I'd like to, I'd like to yeah. check that out. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, he's got such great stuff. I think sometimes that he lost strikes due to bad umpiring, too. Here um, we go. I found it. it was, uh, it's on, from the Sloan Sports Conference uh, this March. Uh, it says, it's called What Does It Take to Call a Strike? Three umpire, three biases in umpire decision making. Wow. And basically says here that um, because the biases are strongest at the bottom, top and the bottom of the strike zone, pitchers should shift their pitches towards the top or bottom in three ball counts and towards the left or right in two strike counts. That's so really interesting. It's, uh, it's easier to get a strike uh, in the top or bottom, not on the corner. Um, and then it's uh, and then in two strike counts, um, yeah, it's I, I it, this is a, a meaty thing that I didn't I didn't plan on actually dropping in this, but well, maybe we can uh, get to it on Friday a little bit more. Basically, but basically what I'm saying is that uh, there are umpire biases, there are understanding the strike zone, understanding the way the game goes, and that if you kind of put aside um, what you Darvish did in his first year. Um, then I think then you see more of a picture of a guy who is more willing to nibble necessarily than has terrible command. So yeah, I've always thought uh, it was that. Throws a ton of breaking balls, you know. So and it's so funny. you know, you're going to walk guys if you on like a three-one count often throw a cutter or, or a slider. So um, yeah, so he's a he's an interesting guy. Maybe not as bad a command as we thought. Maybe it was more about going for swinging strikes sometimes when he should be going for call strikes or okay. knowing knowing umpire biases and stuff like that. Fact and just is it's an ace profile, right? And, yeah, and, exactly. And that's that's what we're dealing with here, and so it can buck the normal trends. And and for me with Darvish, it's always fallen under the I just don't mess with guys a year the year back from Tommy John. It's not about question. This is one of my favorite pitchers in the game. I probably would have had him. You know, if he doesn't go down with Tommy John, he's a top five guy for me all of the time. Absolutely love what this guy can do. So, you know, I'd love to be wrong. I hope I hope he runs off the, the next four months of, of absolute excellence. That would just be fun to to watch and take in. And obviously those that got him, it it wasn't cheap. You didn't you didn't get him for free in the draft and by any stretch of the imagination. So a lot of guys need him to perform too. That was another thing that I didn't like was that drafting him, you kind of needed him to perform. Not necessarily as a full-on ace, but he could not be a zero for you based on where he was being drafted. Yeah. All right, I got a couple others. Now this one, 
I'm probably going to have to hold your feet to the fire, but you still had this Clayton Kershaw guy at number one. And I just, you idiot. I don't see it. So it's like, you know, it's just kind of a, I don't know if it's a me thing or whatever, dude, but I just don't really see it. And so I feel like you need to defend yourself because it seems like you've consistently had him number one in like, what has he even really done? You know? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, he's obviously really terrible in the postseason. So. That's true. What about the postseason? That's the, that's the first thing people say. I was having an <laughs> argument about Arietta versus Kershaw last night on Twitter, which I definitely shouldn't have done but because uh, it was a waste of my time. What about the postseason? Okay, good one. Uh, no, but I do want to ask about somebody I do love just because. I Four s- years under two ERA. Is that is that even good, though? Jesus Christ. And then you add in the, the the 11 strikeouts per nine over those four years. Why is he so It's amazing. Good? It's I think it's – he's on the called strikes list too. And, and so in I, addition to a 15% swing. So that's fair. Yeah. That's fair, dudes. Yeah. For him and to and when I talk to guys like Granky and stuff about Kershaw, they basically say that – he, you know, most guys have command either to their glove side or their arm side, and mm-hmm. they have to they have to sort of play games with the other side. And um, they said Kershaw's the guy that can really can really hit both sides. With, so with you know, every pitch too. And he and, it, and his is funny too because he's his his uh, fastball looks straight, but I think that's what makes it so uh, easy for him to command. And if you add command plus plus velocity. That's the thing. Yeah, we, we, we talk about how 90, 93, 95 can be hit by a major leaguer if it's straight. Straight down the middle or straight straight over the plate. If it's straight but exactly where they want and he's yeah. painting, then it becomes with, a different story. With ride. He has um, that late life thing too, Kershaw does, where, where you see some of the swings. You're like, why didn't they crush that? And it's they aren't they weren't expecting it or or whatever the case may be it's just he gets some really weird swings on like you're saying straight looking fastballs that you would think might get hammered but no it just doesn't happen any and i'm not saying i don't want to say the word concern but he's almost drifting toward a two-pitch guy and I, i know he manipulates the fastball and slider so it's not necessarily just two pitches but i'm more saying okay 30 percent slider usage is it just like a bum garner thing that we don't really worry about it as much with him even though it's on the radar and i do mention it with bum garner that he, he uses it a lot but do we just not worry because of because of who these guys are and they've they they've stayed so healthy because usually 30 percent slider usage is a little bit of at least at least a yellow flag yeah. if not a red one yeah it used to be more of a red flag for me in the past but the the research is more like a asterisk on the pitcher than a necessarily a red flag. I think I would, is how I would put it. Okay, I like that. And he's been super healthy. Um, uh, but, you know, there was the hip labrum. He had the back thing for a minute. The back thing for a minute. Uh, he's 28, and he throws a lot of sliders, and he's got a little bit weird mechanics. So, like I said, your ranking at number one is complete bullshit. I <laughs> case closed. No, I really do want to well, – last one, though. I really do want to ask about Corey Kluber because I am a huge fan. Love Corey Kluber. Still rocking the Klubot for sure. But he gets so frustrating, the, the every other th- start sort of deal or the two great starts, one bad one. I understand that it's the fastball, but what can he do, right? Because I know you I, – I think he's the king of your bad fastball grouping. 
uh, and his fastball just gets absolutely clobbered. How's this for one? I saw this on MLB Network this morning. His fastball batting average against is 328. Colby Jeez. Lewis's is 180. What the freak is that? Yeah. <laughs> just from a vo- and that goes kind of back to your point about Kershaw with the command and, and just fastball command in general. Colby Lewis. Yeah, I think Cooper has plus command of his breaking ball. Yes, but not of his fastball. He'll lay it yeah. in the zone fat, and he thinks that 94, 95, okay, that, that should work. And it will a lot of the time, but not all day. Kluber doesn't throw 94, 95. So. He, he used to. He's not throwing it this right. year. I, I think he still pops 94, 95. I've got one game with a max of 95, but some 94. Wow, okay, so he's, he's down he, this year. He's, he was a little down, and that's why I was down on him a little bit, um, you know, when in the first rankings and stuff. But, you know, basically everybody's fallen around, fallen down around him. I mean, basically where he was in that sort of 10 to 15 ranking mm-hmm. level, everyone just just died around him. Yeah, that's and, true. That That area has become a wasteland, so it's last man standing sort of deal. Yeah, and it's funny because that's a lot of times where I shop and I'm just like, wow, why did that happen? It makes me think maybe I should get one ace and then wait and get guys in the 20 to 30 in the future. I, it's, it's hard. You don't want to overreact to like a one-year trend. A lot of times there's guys you know, from 10 to 15 that go and win Heinz, uh, Cy Young. So, I mean, Carlos Carrasco is, is a good example of that. Why, why pay for the third best pitcher when you can go – you know, pay for the tenth best pitcher, and he ends up in the top five. So exactly, we're we're hoping uh, to find those guys in the in the teens and twenties that can be well, the top guys. For whatever reason, like the Chris Archers and the Felix Hernandezes and all those guys, even Degrom had his moments. But anyway, you know, Kluber was down early, and he's back up to pretty much where he ended last G season with velocity wise. Uh, so that makes me feel a little better about him. Uh, now it's just a question of you know stranding runners. Otherwise, he should have an ERA in the mid threes. Um, and uh, you know, I guess any any sort of. I think this is also a good time to sell him. I mean, he's thirty years old. He's thirty years old. And he never had a good fastball. Yeah. So I I think that there will be a year coming soon where he has a, a seasonal number like he has now, where it's a four point one ERA with a one point one five WHIP. And people are like, oh, he should be better than this. And you're like, well, the fastball gets spanked, you know? It really, and I, it really does. And I asked him one time, have you ever thought about, you know, using his cutter as a, as a, um, <clears throat> as his fastball? Let me guess. Let me, let me do it. Let me do it. No, I haven't really thought about that. Yeah, that was, that was pretty much dead on right there. That's the clue bot. <laughs> That's the clue bot. You know, you still, I think it's probably, um, the fact that his cutter, as as BIS has it, is is his slider. I think I'm just throwing my stuff. I don't think you can throw that slider that he has uh, any more than he does. You know what I mean? I probably could, but I just don't want to. <laughs> well, it's it's just a big old frisbee. Yeah. And it, 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 honestly, if he did throw get it, strike one with that. You know. What's that? It seems like it'd be hard to get strike one exactly. and strike two with that. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I completely agree. Because I was going to ask, well, what is the solution? Because he's actually using his fastball more this year. His four-seamer is up at 57% usage. I'm like, stop using it so much. Uh, he was surprising, guys. But Maybe just go to the uh, maybe, maybe go the, the Rich Hill route and start leaning on your curveball and, and manipulating that four different ways the way Rich Hill does. Which, uh, by the way, 
Let me see where you ranked him. I'm interested in that. Oh, 36. Okay, I agree with that. Where do you think he's going to get traded to? I think we're all assuming that he will. I don't think it's 100% that Rich Hill does because they could give him a qualifying offer. But I feel like since the pitching market is going to be pretty light, that Oakland— You know what? I think they might actually trade him because they'd be afraid of giving him the qualifying offer and, him and accepting then taking it. it. Yes. Because they haven't paid a guy $15 million in years. Yeah, so um, that that is a great, great, great point as to why they'll <laughs> trade Rich Hill. Any ideas of where you think he might go? I'm well, he's actually spot with that. He might be he might be uh, more immune to Homer. I mean, he's going to give up his homers because he's going to hang some some curveballs. Sure. He might be more immune to homeritis than a guy like James Shields. So. Yes, he doesn't put anybody on base. He's so hard yeah. to hit. Rich Hill is. Yeah. And so yeah, he'll hang one every once in a while. Yeah, I give up a bomb like you're saying, but as a solo shot, okay, we're up four to one still, no big deal. Especially if he goes to but a better as, team. Yeah, even his hangers uh, are kind of on purpose. I, I I looked at my um, breaking ball command piece, so I got a Pineda piece coming out tomorrow about what he needs to fix or like what's going on there. Uh, that's on Fangraphs, and I got a Hendricks piece on called strikes coming out tomorrow too, but on ESPN. But I looked back at my command, um, uh, com- uh, breaking ball command piece that I wrote for the Hardball Times, and Rich Hill led the league last year in curveball height. And I remember thinking, God, does that really mean he has bad command of it? Because no, because he throws it high in his own on purpose because he wants them not to swing, uh, and he wants to get Drop the, it the in at the top. Swing. Yeah, so his his curveball is like four different pitches the way he does it. He'll do the back door one. He'll do the bury it, bury it twelve to six super hammer. He'll do that top of the zone one that you're talking about. He'll do one that's a little bit sharper, almost almost uh, slurvy, almost almost a little bit slidery. Um, yeah, I love watching Rich Hill pitch. I wish yeah. I wouldn't have gotten so spooked by his uh, by his spring training because he was out there for the picking and he was not expensive this year. I know, I know. It's just that that bad spring. It was so bad, and he's a million Short track record. It's not like yes. it's not like Corey Kluber had a bad spring, and you said, "Oh, I don't draft Corey Kluber in <laughs> a bad spring." You know, it's more like Rich Hill had a bad spring, and he had like fifty good innings in his life. <laughs> You know, so it's yeah. kind of like, well, maybe he just, you know, maybe it was just a great story last year and, and Disney's going to turn it into a movie. No, actually, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, all right. You know, that's going to wrap us up for today. Talking pictures. People ask, like, why isn't he hired? I'm like, dude has crossed the 99 inning threshold once in his life. So, that you know, that's still people. Part wait, of- people already asked why he isn't higher than 36. I don't know if they were joking or not. Oh, OK, because no, 36 is a very nice, I think, completely fair ranking. And right around exactly where I have him, I also wrote about um, wrote about him recently, and just you know, he's he's so good, and I, I buy this as long he still does carry the health uh, scare risk because he, he is 36 years old, but he could get traded to a better team where he gets even more run support. Not not that it's not been good for him in Oakland. He's eight and three there, so even if he stayed, I wouldn't freak out that much. But uh, yeah, I like Rich Hill, man. I know he's 36, but who cares? The, the, that curveball fun to watch if you haven't watched a, a rich hill start you got to do it you know we got we got to go we'll be back on friday talking who knows hit us up on twitter at spore at you know if you got some guys you want us to discuss um ideally we will we will not have discussed them recently if you, you know please don't include somebody that was just talked about um unless there's been a stark change to to something in their profile but otherwise uh we'll get going and i'll, I'll talk to you in a couple days you know well hey maybe we'll do some hitters even maybe. yes actually if you've got hitters 
since we did such a full pitching episode, uh, yeah. feel free to send them over and we'll, we'll close out the week with a bunch of hitter talk. Yep, 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 yep. All right, Dino. Thanks for listening. Bye.